0: First Peter chapter three verses eight through twenty-two. Navigating life's difficulties. This is part seven. Today's topic is dealing with illogical persecution. You know, Peter basically is talking about today is this how we are to treat others in the body of Christ, our relationship to the body of Christ. For the world is watching on how we treat each other, and that communicates to the world once again our conduct and our actions. I've heard it from people who don't know the Lord, and I'm sharing with them about the Lord or or inviting them to church, and they said to me that they want nothing to do with Christianity. Some have even said they grew up going to the church as a child, but they soon noticed that their family was one thing at church and not the same when they came home. The things they would say to each other in front of us kids at the dinner table about people in the church, bad-mouthing them to each other and even with their friends. My parents just didn't like some people in the church. But they smile at them at church, and they talk with them at church, and they're glad to see them at church. They'll even say they will pray for them at church because what they say about them at home is far from what they are being at church. Others have also stated that they see seen non-Christians turn away from coming to church when they have observed the attitude of Christians towards other Christians was horrible. Some have observed a church split, this side fighting against that side, each side saying horrible things about each other. There is a sense that Christians towards other Christians by the world is very backstabbing. They want nothing to do with church and Christians. They would rather join a country club or go to the Moose Lodge or support group, but not a church or with Christians. It's interesting that it is hard to talk to non-Christians about spiritual issues. I mean, they're not interested or they want to change the subject really fast, but if you put those same people in an environment where Christians are talking bad about other Christians... Well, those folks are all ears. They will listen and hear how we speak and what we say about other Christians. Here's what Peter is telling us and sharing with us and exhorting us in in verse 8. He says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted and courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing it says we are to be of one mind having compassion towards one another the same mind it doesn't mean we're going to think the same way about everything or that we are going to process information the same way no we're all different god has given us all different minds and different ways to process information so we don't agree on everything but we do agree on what is clearly taught in the bible there's a lot of diversity in the body of christ so that speaks of unity and getting along living in harmony with one another as opposed to fighting with one another or criticizing one another or backstabbing one another or slandering one another but that's where you add in tender heartedness don't be callous or jaded there is this courtesy that we have you know it's not spiritual maturity or growth to be one that watches everyone's actions and takes note of every flaw and then lets others know what you've observed that is wrong with them A person might not know it, but that is body of the Christ persecution. That's not growth. That is not maturity in Christianity. It's persecution. And think about a 13-year-old child or a 14-year-old child. They, They can spot what is wrong with this decision, this direction from mom and dad. What's wrong with you saying no? What's wrong with you bringing in discipline? They're experts when it comes to what is wrong with mom and dad and what they do or don't do. See, at 13, they pretty much are convinced they have life wired now. There's not a whole lot more that you can teach them. They are the best in pointing out flaws. These are immature children of ours. So don't ever think we are maturing when we point out everybody's flaws. And for the person that is receiving this criticism and persecution, it's just totally illogical to them. But you have to understand, no one is perfect. Everyone has flaws and when a person can reach a point in their christian walk where they can start to celebrate the diversity in the body of christ it's a wonderful day where they appreciate the introvert the extrovert they love the blue collar worker the white collar worker they embrace the person who loves country music and the person who likes rock and roll they love that person who's a cat person or the person who's a dog person or the person who's not even an animal person at all Listen, one of the best places to celebrate diversity is in the home group with the body of Christ. It's a place to grow up and mature in unity. It's terrible when someone says, well, I will never go back to the home group because I don't really have anything common with those people. I really can't stand some of the people in that group and they slam their personality, and they slam their demeanor, they slam their, you know, interburdenness or their extroburdenness, whatever the case may be, that's a person not wanting to grow. Yes, it might have to do with the leaders not facilitating the group very well and letting things get out of hand, but granted, everything can be correctable. Everything can be drawn back in and honed back in. There's no doubt about it. But remember, the world and other Christians are watching. And if someone does evil to you, slanders you, let them see you repay with blessing. Don't get into the game of you did that to me. I know how to get you back. Revenge now is on the agenda. I am called to bless them when they do evil or revile me. Even those in the body of Christ that would say bad things about me as their brother and sister, I am not to return evil for evil. If they're reviling me or, or badmouthing me, I don't send it back to them. But when someone pays evil for evil, even in the body of Christ, you know, the thing is, is that we are to be a blessing to give back. That has the world's, even Christians' attention. They respect that. They may not be a Christian many times, but they'll respect that. They may be a Christian and they'll respect that. If you are one who's on the very end of this illogical persecution from the body of Christ, there's something about you. That is untouchable in the act of their slander, their gossip, their reviling of you. Yes, you're not perfect. You are flawed. Maybe you are loud. You're extroverted. Yes, your demeanor is different, but you have done nothing wrong, and you're being persecuted for that. Peter goes on to say in verse 10, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There is an old saying. And it goes like this. To return evil for good is demonic. To return evil for evil is human. And to return good for evil is divine. This is, a, this is a psalm of David, Psalm 34, that Peter is actually quoting from. And when David wrote this psalm is at the time when he fled to Gath for fear of Saul and even his own people were, who were persecuting him. What did David do wrong? He did absolutely nothing wrong. But his own countrymen and nation is coming against him. His king is coming against him. And now he's fleeing to Gath. He was being unfairly abused and persecuted when he was nothing but loyal loyal. And good. I don't know, but was there something in David's personality, in David's demeanor that rubbed Saul and the nation of Israel the wrong way? Well, whatever the case, still David did nothing wrong. He just couldn't imagine being treated by his own people like this. And so David flees to the world, who has never treated him as bad as his own brethren, Israel, has treated him. And I've heard people say, I've never been hurt in the world before Christ like I've been hurt by other Christians after coming to Christ why because it's illogical persecution and they say I'm going back to the world I don't want to go back to church and like David I'm not going back to Israel I'm going to escape to Gath the Philistine country yet David does leave Gath and he goes back to his own land to his own people and he lives under this kind of persecution from Saul and his own people for 10 long years yet he never repaid evil for evil David never slandered and reviled, but he never slandered Saul or reviled his own people, even though they slandered him constantly. He never fought against his own brethren. He did good for the evil that was done to him. So David gives the recipe for a blessed life here in Psalm 34 as Peter just repeats that. In verse 13, it says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear, having a good conscience. That when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. We move into another form of illogical persecution, illogical suffering. It makes no sense at all, but when you live a good life and have good conduct, a good citizen, a top-notch, hard-working employee, a great husband and wife who has a marriage that people marvel at and wish that they had, but in all that, it doesn't silence the ignorance of foolish men. How do you do? What do you do now about that? When conduct and action does not win over words, this is what Peter is addressing here. Remember, David's conduct and action did not win over Saul or the nation of Israel for 10 long years. But what Peter's saying here, he's encouraging us to stick to our guns. There in verse 14, you are doing right, thus you will be blessed. When people ask you about the hope that you have in the simple faith of Jesus Christ, you're ready to give them an answer, even though that answer is true. Even though that answer is from God, it may still rub them the wrong way. And no matter how your conduct may be from that moment on, they're still not going to come to believe. They still may continue to persecute you. But stand your ground. Keep your good conduct, even though it's not winning them. If they persecute you, reject you, mock you, understand from heaven, you are blessed. You are a Blessing. Don't flip out on them and start saying, I don't care if you go to hell or not. Don't do that, but continue to be in meekness, which is strength under control. Yes, they're not responding to your changed life and your conduct, which is better than it's ever been before, but they've just been rubbed the wrong way by your simple faith in Jesus Christ. And the last verses that are here in verse 18 says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and he preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There's also an anti-type, which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God, though the resur- through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, who's at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers, having been made subject to him. Peter points out, The great truth that it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing wrong. And he gives us our great example of this truth, which is in Christ. And, of course, what Jesus Christ went through was was illogical persecution. I mean, here's what he is communicating to us, that if God was able to overwhelm and work together for good, the single greatest injustice in human history to the crucifixion of the sinless Son of God, if God can take that persecution... That injustice, that wrongdoing, and completely overwhelm it to provide the whole world with salvation, how much more able is He to take the, the such smaller persecution that we go through and we put it into His hands in working it together for good for His purposes? So we understand no man, no woman, no devil, no demon, no persecution, trial can stop God from working that which is good in our lives for his purposes and his call on our lives. And just think about it. As Jesus died that horrible death on the cross, Peter says he he went down in those three days and his death. He went down and he preached to those in prison. He preached to those who were in Hades. You see, the body stayed in the tomb, but his spirit and his soul went down to Hades, where a place where people went when they died. It was a waiting place where many of those will face judgment, for they were found without Christ. They were found without looking to the Messiah, hoping for the Messiah, trusting God, believing God in their life. And once they're judged, they're removed from Hades, and then they were standing at the white throne of judgment of God, and they'll be cast into the lake of fire as their books are opened, their names are not found there. They will not go back into Hades, they will go to a new place. Yet in that same place of Hades are those who were looking to the coming Messiah, believing in God's provision. In Luke chapter 16, it talks about these two compartments in Hades, one for the righteous and one for the unrighteous. So Jesus preached himself as the Messiah, the coming one, and they put their faith in him there in that holding tank in Abraham's bosom in paradise, and they believed. And then Jesus emptied that compartment in Hades, and in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that he led them into heaven. So now, when somebody dies... He, when you're absent from the body, you're going to be present with the Lord. No one is in that holding tank anymore. It's been empty for 2,000 years, and it's going to stay empty because when you're in Christ, you will be with the Lord when you die. But the other compartment is still filling up to this day. But listen, that was his death. Look what it had accomplished there in Hades. And then all is summed up in Jesus' persecution. It's all summed up in that horrible death that he is in heaven sitting at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Talk about overwhelming illogical persecution. you got to remember, everything works together for good for the Christian, not for the non-Christian. Remember that Christian life is the greatest life a human being can ever live. Don't lose a sense of privilege related to that. No matter what kind of illogical persecution you go with with the world or with other Christians, understand what Jesus went through and believe and know that God can overwhelm anything in our lives. Why? Because everything does work together for good.